Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Join us for a journey as we go back back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin and how did they end? Let's find out on episode 23, The Battle of Karkar. Last time on The Fan of History, Shalmanasar III is the king of Assyria and has defeated the Neo-Hittite Armenian states north of the Orontes River. Well, Dan, now that we know that, I remember last time Shalmanasar was headed for something big just over the horizon. He was. I gotta correct you on the Aramean states, not the Armenian states. Oh, Aramean, excuse me. Yeah, I remember the... People that live like orcs in the countryside and beat yes. people up. But they have been uh, socialized by the Neo-Hittites. Ah, there we go. Arab and that's North Syria, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Which was conquered last time. So we're now going to tell you about the greatest battle the world had ever seen up to this date. In 853 BC, we have this giant fight huge so when you say giant yeah like give me a give me a perspective we will look at the numbers at the end because uh, the numbers are um, might have been a bit padded by shalmanisar (laughs) we know they like to inflate their uh, their events quite a bit yes um the assyrian calendar has its own set of uh, months and on the 14th of Iyar, which roughly is April and May, okay. the month of love, oh, uh, right. this, this battle happens on the Orontes River. So, in this battle, I remember last time, and I'm sure our listeners will as well, that there were some 
former enemies coming together going, hey, Shalmanasar Third is coming to kick our ass. Maybe we should come together. Definitely. So one side of the fight is Shalmanasar Third and his royal Assyrian army. Right. And the opponent is the League of Kings, an alliance of 12 kings. Hmm. Who has seen the Assyrians now? They have been rampaging for 60 years. Right. And they only grow stronger. And they, they were hoping for that when Ashanasir Pal II died, things would calm down. But now his son seems to be exactly the same guy doing right. the same things. Yeah, that can't be good, Adam. Good for them, excuse me. Um, so, with this League of Kings, something big has to be at stake. For people who are normally, you know, not real interested in working together to come together like this. So what all what all is at stake during this for this battle? Well, it's the liberty of Aram Damascus, mm-hmm. the most powerful Arame the only Aramean state pretty much. Uh, the liberty of Israel, mm-hmm. the, this fledgling state <laughs> that has been around for only thirty years. Mm-hmm. All the the other states of the Levant and possibly even Egypt uh, are now at risk of falling under total Assyrian domination. Wow. That's a big problem. It definitely is. <laughs> so they have to lay their differences aside and fight. Wow. Okay. So how do we know? Like, this is a big deal. There has to be some kind of documentation on this. I mean, it just seems way too huge, like a pivotal point in world history for there not to be some amount of records of this. Yeah. Uh, The Assyrians are good record keepers. They keep the records in stone. Mm -hmm. So we have two, at least two major Assyrian accounts of this battle. And they're both by Shalmaneser III's scribes, because Shalmaneser himself can't uh, read and write, because writing Assyrian is uh, really, really hard. So a very small number of people can do it. Wow. Uh, the big mystery here is, at this point, we have the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, after 884 BC, is somewhat reliable. But the Old Testament doesn't mention this battle at all. And really? even the the Israel the king of Israel, who is uh, talked about a lot in the Old Testament, right. who is at this battle, he yeah, there, there is not a word about it. Right. I mean, they they took the time to write about um, our friend who was uh, um, oh, what am I trying to say here? Last time we talked about the lady in Israel. Jezebel. Jezebel. There we go. Sorry about that. Um, There's plenty about her. This, uh, I'm just shocked that there isn't more about this in the Bible, just considering that time frame seems to be of some import and focus. It's extremely weird, actually, because uh, for up till uh, the beginning of the 19th century, almost everything we knew about the Assyrians Mm -hmm. comes from the Bible. (laughs) And uh, the Bible has proven to be quite correct regarding the Assyrians. It is a a valid source, because when the Assyrians show up in the history of Israel and Judah, Mm -hmm. they are 
pretty influential. But this battle is not mentioned at all. Uh, there are the two main Assyrian sources are the Kirk Stele. Uh, okay. That's one of those uh, rocks that the Assyrians put up when <laughs> they do something good. Right. And the Shalmaneser's Annals, uh, Recension C. And this is the, the record of Shalmaneser's reign. And we, in a, like 10 episodes or so, we shall see why Shalmaneser's record is extra important because it will become a weapon in a civil war. So oh. this, um, the, the story of Shalmaneser III is extremely important to the Assyrians. Okay. Hmm. That's very interesting. So, um, I guess let's frame this talk. Tell me a little bit more about, about the army. Like, um, first the Assyrians. Yeah. It has to and be the Assyrians. We, <laughs> we did a whole show on the uh, Neo-Assyrian army oh, of yeah. the early empire. So uh, have, have, listen to that one because that details <laughs> the army of it. Uh, this is the royal army of Assyria. It's not yet professional. It's gathered in the spring. Okay. Uh, oh, I, I have to correct myself. On the 14th of Iyar, that's April, May. It's probably around the end of April. Okay. That's the day the army sets out. Ah, gotcha. And the size of this army is reported by Shalmaneser to be 120,000 men. That's but it's probably closer to 50. Oh, okay. But it is the best army in the world. Right. And it's battle-hardened. It still includes a lot of uh, Ashurnasir Pal II's veterans. And uh, Shalmaneser has been fighting for a couple of years too. So the people who were there were conquering northern Syria with uh, Shalmaneser, they are still in the army. Uh, they move out, they cross the Euphrates and the Tigris, the big two rivers of Mesopotamia. Mm -hmm. There is no incident. All the areas here uh, Shalmaneser has been to before, they just pay their tribute. They give them food. They just, oh, please don't stop here. <laughs> and uh, he arrives at Aleppo, which is an important city in northern Syria. Uh, it pays tribute. And Shalmaneser makes sacrifices to Hadad, the storm god, in Aleppo. And then he intends to move into Hamath. Okay. And what? Hamath... Oh, I'm sorry. Yep. Let me stop you real quick. Why would he make a sacrifice to someone who is not Asher? Yeah, I c still can't get my head around the Assyrian religion, but in a sense, all gods are aspects of Asher, and Hadad is worshipped in this area, so I think Shalmaneser uh, thinks that Asher in the form of Hadad is the, the proper way to make a sacrifice in Syria. So th that's my take on it. But uh, yeah, the Assyrians are confusing because they say they only have one god and they... But right. if they find like old gods they like, they really they really can go astray. <laughs> and this is especially applies to Babylonian gods, but Babylonia is not involved in this episode. Okay. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I just, I just, it just strikes me as, as weird. Yeah, it, it strikes me as weird too. And if anybody can clarify why the Assyrians are so happy to to take in other cults and <laughs> from <laughs> from from these lands, from Babylonia and the, the Hittites, 
Right. Uh, I would be very happy to know it. But now we're going to Hamath. And Hamath is uh, the second most powerful kingdom in the area after Arab Damascus. And its king is Irhuleni. And Irhuleni will not pay his tribute. Uh-oh. There's so we have defiance. a response from... <laughs> yeah, we have a response from Shalmaneser III, detailing <laughs> what happened. This, uh, what is, let's see, what happens? Uh-oh, I see some, some Shalmaneser quotes. Yeah, you are Shalmaneser III today. Okay. I approached the cities of King Irhulani, the Hamathite I captured, Adenu, Parga, and Argana, his royal cities. I carried off captives, his valuables, his palace possessions. I set fire to his palaces. Yeah, rough going. So Shalmanese took all his monkeys and beds. <laughs> Those, that's Damn stuff monkeys. He like. <laughs> and he leaves uh, Hamath pretty much a ruin. Wow. So but the king gets away. <laughs> Really? Yes, with the bulk of the uh, Hamath army. And, and the fact that Irhuleni wasn't with uh, the League of Kings at this point. Right. Maybe means that he wasn't convinced. That he, he wasn't going to join this alliance, but now he has no option. So he has to flee to the League of Kings. Wow. That's a heck of a way to test a theory. <laughs> <laughs> So not far from Hamath is the small town of Karkar near the Orontes River. So I think Shalmaneser III uh, takes uh, pursuit. Uh, he tries to catch the king mm -hmm. of Hamath. But then he runs into the League of Kings at Karkar. Should we talk a bit about the uh, Assyrian army? Yeah. So basically... We know that they were had large numbers, but you can't win a battle with just throwing bodies at it. How did they? How did they fight? Like, what was their? What was, what was their method? Well, their main strength was the fact that they had a, a warrior culture that was at this point um, far over a thousand years old. Right. And this was the way they survived the Bronze Age collapse. The, every grown male is a warrior in Assyria, and they have adapted uh, auxiliary forces from people they have conquered. Sure. They have iron weapons and armor. Uh, their weapons and armor craft is superior to anyone else in the area. Uh, they have invented cavalry, like we talked about, and nobody oh, else yeah. has experienced cavalry. Some Someone might have cavalry. I don't think anybody... We'll look at that, what the cavalry is like, but... The Assyrian cavalry is much more experienced than anyone else. Right. Who is not from the Russian steppes, and nobody's at this <laughs> battle. Uh, the bow is the primary weapon. The Assyrians want to shoot at people. And they shoot from their horses, they shoot from their chariots, they shoot from right. everywhere. And the, any infantry is pretty much just to protect the bowmen. But they do quite well with that, using spears and shields, and probably phalanx-like formations. Hmm. Uh, they use their swords only for executions. Um, and uh, when they show up, then you either pay your tribute or you fight. 
there's this yearly yearly army. We've talked about this so yeah, many yeah. times. And if you fight against them, you are massacred. If you pay tribute, you are financially ruined. <laughs> and if you pay your tribute, you have to pay it again every time the Assyrians show up, or actually every year. But you, you tend to pay more if the Assyrians are in your land. <laughs> wow. Uh, so that's the reason why the alliance has formed. And now let's look at the League of Kings. All right. Yeah. How did? Yeah. What's the? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. This League of Kings. So what were they made up of? Like, um, is it just a ragtag bunch of scrawny rebels, or are these also hardened warriors? Well, they're definitely battle-hardened, some of them, and most of them. And if, the Ass if Assyria didn't have an empire this time, this would have been the powerful kings that history would have talked about. Wow. Um, the term 12 kings is problematic, because in Akkadian, uh, the term 12 kings means alliance. Oh, so, so it's not just a number 12. No, exactly. So maybe there were 12 kings. We'll, we'll try to count them and see how many we end up with. But hmm. we know most of them. Okay. So the, le the leader of the League of Kings is Haddad Eser of Damascus. He is known as Ben-Hadad II, Bar-Hadad II, and Adad Idri as well. He is a prominent character in the Old Testament mm -hmm. as an enemy of Israel. Right. This is actually Israel's arch enemy at this time. It's uh, they've had. We'll talk about that in the next episode. We'll go back a while and look at this conflict, but they they are definitely the enemy of Israel, and they bring some forces. That's crazy. Yeah, they have twelve hundred chariots. They have twelve hundred nice. cavalry. So cavalry has been spreading since huh. the days of the cult in Inertha. And they bring 20,000 foot soldiers. Odds are getting better. Yeah, that's uh, if uh, Shalmanis only has 50,000 guys. This is about half right. the size. Uh, so King Irhuleni uh, of Hamath is okay. also here then with the, the rest of the Hamath army. Yeah. And he didn't give any good resistance to Shalmanis because his army seems to be uh, intact. So basically, he defied them, saw what they were going to do, and then instead of fighting back at all, just took what he could and ran. I think so. Maybe he left the skeleton crew on the walls just to force a siege or something, but right. that didn't work. So <laughs> He stands here at Karkar with 700 chariots, 700 horsemen, and 10,000 soldiers. So about half the force of uh, Aram Damascus. Wow, that's not that's not too shabby. The third member of the League of Kings is King Ahab of Israel. Right. <clears throat> he brings two thousand chariots. That's more than anyone else, and ten thousand soldiers. But ca apparently, cavalry hasn't reached Israel yet, so he doesn't have cavalry. Oh. And he <laughs> definitely has a hard time being friend with the king of Aram Damascus. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, there's also a theory that uh, there is a zero too much here, that uh, he only had 200 chariots. But we are going to go with 2,000 chariots. Because Israel is powerful at this time. 
Sure. Remember that Israel has backing from Phoenicia and a lot of con trading contacts with Phoenicia, so Israel is doing well financially. Makes sense. The fourth uh, member of the League of Kings is disputed. <laughs> it's hard to okay. read. Horshall really? Manager says, these people comes from the land of Kurgua. And uh, nobody knows what that is. <laughs> so we have three identifications of uh, the League of Kings member number four. Okay. It could be Byblos, the Phoenician city, uh, given that they are buddies with Israel. Mm -hmm. It's actually Tyre that, uh, that is Israel's best friend, but uh, Byblos might go along with Tyre. And uh, so th this might be a rare attempt from the Phoenicians to fight Assyria because they also see the threat, but they are used to just uh, providing luxury stuff for big empires and thus uh, surviving. Right. And uh, Byblos is also a long time ally of Egypt, and it is possible that Egypt is in the League of Kings. Huh. Uh, the other identifications are uh, the state of Q or the state of. Uh, it's a, actually, there are two identifications. Sorry, I misread my own notes. Uh, the state of Q is the other one. Okay. And Kate, who is the... This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. King of Q, he already fought Shalmanis at the third in North Syria because Q is actually in Turkey. In southern Turkey, so it's north of North Syria. So he was in the old alliance that fought Shalmanis III in the last episode. Gotcha. And he lived to tell the tale. And he really hates Shalmanis III. <laughs> Would, wouldn't you? Really? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> he is pissed. And he has he has, only has 500 guys. And that's, uh, that could be either Biblos or Q. Okay. 
But if this is not Byblos, Egypt might not be in the uh, League of Kings either. Huh, so, okay. <laughs> and the League of Kings member number five is Egypt or something else. Shalmanesa identifies this enemy as the land of Kurmusra. <laughs> Thank you, Shalmanesa. <laughs> if it's Egypt, uh-huh. uh, it's under the rule of Osorkon II. And most, most stories about this battle that I've read go with the theory that it is Egypt. That Egypt sent a thousand soldiers to fight alongside their allies in Byblos. Mm-hmm. And sort of, if we fight them up there, we don't have to fight them in Egypt. Well, who would it be if it's not Egypt? Um, it could have been Q again. Okay. Which was one of the candidates for number four. Right. Or some other um, state from the mountains, from the hills in, uh, north of Syria. Uh, I think if it was Osorkon II, a thousand guys seems pretty cheap. Right. It's like, he could have sent 20,000 guys. Yeah, it, you know, if, if their pharaoh demands it, I'm certain they would have done it. And remember the, the problem with sending Egyptian soldiers outside of Egypt. They don't want to die off of Egyptian soil. Yeah, because if you die on foreign soil and are not buried in Egyptian soil, you do not resurrect. So maybe that's the problem. Maybe he only found mm. 1,000 guys crazy enough to leave Egypt. <laughs> but it, it is very... It is not even that disputed that this is Egypt, but I have a hard time believing that this is actually Egypt. And if it is Egypt, it will play in later in the story of Assyria. But the sort of common version is that Osorkon II saw this threat from, uh, from far away. Mm-hmm. And actually intervened here, sending these 1,000 soldiers. Uh, number six in the League of Kings is Irkanata. Uh, it's a kingdom situated around Tel Arka, which is uh, an important archaeological site. Okay. I have not been able to figure out where this is exactly. <laughs> It's the fourth biggest member of the alliance. They have 10 chariots and 10,000 soldiers. That's a lot of soldiers. 10,000 soldiers. So if Shalmanister only has 50,000 soldiers, he is now outnumbered. Right. Hmm, okay. And who is the... Who is the next one? The next one is the island of Arvad. Uh, In what is today Syria... This is the only major island in the Mediterranean that belongs to Syria. Uh, It's Phoenician. There is a lot of trading going on from this island into the Orontes River Valley. So Karkar itself is actually a trading partner of Arvad. And the king has the fantastic name Matanbal. Matanbal. And he brings 200 soldiers. That's it? Uh, yeah, that's it. The Phoenician okay. uh, cities are not known for their big fighting forces. Uh, okay. So it's probably 200 merchants that were forced to put on armor and they're like <laughs> complaining all the time. Yeah, well, I'll just wave this sword around, I guess. <laughs> and notably absent here is Tyre, Israel's best friend. 
Huh, okay. And Jezebel's dad. Oh, uh, wow. They're not here. And the other Phoenician cities also refused to join the League because they tried to use good old Phoenician diplomacy instead. And it works for them. Yeah, why, uh, why give up a good thing? Yeah. Uh, number eight number is eight. a small place called Usanata that might have been identified. I haven't, I haven't found a good identification for it. Uh, the Assyrians tend to have their own names for places. And uh, very often these can't be interpreted and we don't know what the... Where this place is, okay. but they also sent two hundred guys. Gotcha. And number nine is even worse. It's Shianu, and we don't know how many guys they send, but it's probably a minor contribution, right? And uh, number ten is pretty sensational, actually, because number ten is the Arabs. And this is the hmm. first mention of Arabs in world history. Really? Yeah, we have the Bedouins that uh, Sheshonk fought in the nine, in 925 mm -hmm. BC at the Battle of the Bitter Lakes. But they were never identified as Arabs. But this time they are. It's a thousand camel cavalry under King Gindibu. This is also the first mention of camel cavalry ever. So this is quite revolutionary. That's crazy. I always, you know, you think back on it growing up, you think that that kind of stuff was just all over the place all the time because we know about it. Yeah. But it's fascinating to know that there's actually a place in history where, historically speaking, this is the first time anyone's ever seen it. Well, Now I'll go out on a bit of thin ice, but I think the... Camels might have been domesticated fairly recently at this point, and the idea of using them as cavalry is then totally new, as cavalry is totally new as well. Right. And uh, the influence of camels on horses is well documented. So horses are kind of scared of camels. Because they're weird looking. Yeah, well, they, they smell bad. <laughs> So this, this unit should have been quite effective. Uh, the Arabs will show up a lot in the 8th century BC. Okay. And they seem to have, they control very important trade routes going from Babylon to Egypt that the Assyrians are very much interested in in the next century. And we'll learn a lot more about the Arabs in, in the 8th century BC. But this is the first mention ever of Arabs. That's incredible. Number 11 in the League of Kings is the state of Ammon. And Ammon is one of those minor states that are uh, that is to the east of Israel and Judah, uh, around the Dead Sea, or in the vicinity of the Dead Sea. Uh, it's led by King Baasa, the son of Ruhubi. He is in the Bible as Basha ben Ruhubi. And it is possible that this is a vassal state of Aram Damascus. Okay. Because, uh, yeah, Damascus is powerful and Ammon is not. Because they can only bring 100 soldiers. All right. And that's the end of the list. Whoa, wait, that's... Uh, that's that's 11 kings. <laughs> that's 11 of the 12 kings. So <laughs> if there was a 12th king, um, it might have been the king of Karkar itself. 
the, this town, pretty much. Oh, so the mayor of Kakar <laughs> yeah. rouses up the the police force and says, "Oh yeah, here's our fighting force." <laughs> it also seemed that this Baasa character, the king of Amon, was also king of another place called Beth Rehob, which was uh, also a vassal state of Aram Damascus, if if Amon was. So he might have counted twice. Hmm, okay. Or maybe it's just this thing that 12 kings doesn't mean 12 kings. It's just, it's just the title. Uh, it could be. But let's uh, total the forces here. We okay. have, so have 3,910 chariots. It's a lot of chariots. 1,900 horsemen. Not bad. Lots of horses. 52,000 soldiers. Hell yeah. And 1,000 camels. I like those odds. Seems and strong. And this is unheard of, a force of this size. Uh, it's, it is heard of in Assyrian bragging monuments. But <laughs> right. So we don't really know and I th uh, how big the Assyrian army was. Um, wow. But I think uh, it is outnumbered at this point. Incredible. And I think that's the point. That All right. they, only, they only dare face the Assyrians if they can bring a bigger force. Okay, Dan. Just like in the Bible, we've plowed through the book of Numbers. We've gotten through <laughs> yeah, this yeah. part, okay? The begets, they're behind us now. <laughs> yes. So, we have all these people. We got fifty thousand soldiers. We got we got camels, horses, chariots. We got everything. All yeah. right. So we got this huge battle coming up. So I'm imagining this this vistas, you know, because we have mountains on one side. You got this flat plain that they're gonna fight on. Because who wants to fight on the side of a mountain? And the river. Oh yeah, and the river. Got some river. Got some cutting off a path already. So we have all these movements, and you're going to see all these different fighting styles because you got, you know, got Arabs over here, possibly Egyptians over here. There's no way they fight the same. Oh, they don't. So all these giants, there's got to be heroes in this battle. There's got to be songs or something. So let's get right to it. Tell me, what are the, what details? I mean, is this, if this episode's got to go two hours long, Give me all the good stuff. Tell me about it. So you want to know what happened at the Battle of Karkar? Heck yeah, I want to know everything. Tell me it okay, all. I'll tell you all the details we have of the fighting. Fantastic. I'm sitting down. I'm ready. We don't know anything. You have got to be kidding me. The Assyrians never reveal, except for Sargon the Second, <laughs> how they fought on the battlefield. The tactical records thing the the these epic tales of ancient battles they are still far in the future and they will not be the product of the assyrians because the assyrians will not tell you how they fought because they will not reveal their tactics wow but there is a record oh uh, so there's something at assyrian least. record well of course so we'll <laughs> have to ask shalmaneser the third oh no this monument <laughs> Uh, actually, from the Kirk Staley, what happened, Shalmaneser? With the Supreme Forces, which Asher, my lord, had given me, and with the mighty weapons which the Divine Standard, which goes before me, had granted me, 
I fought with them. I decisively defeated them from the city of Karkar to the city of Gilzau. I felt with the sword, I felled with the sword, 14,000 troops, their fighting men. Like Haddad, I rained down upon them a devastating flood. I spread out their corpses. I filled the plain. I felled with the sword their extensive troops. I made their blood flow in the Wadis. The field was too small for the lying of their flat bodies. A broad countryside had been consumed in burying them. I blocked the Orontes River with their corpses, as with a causeway. In the midst of the battle, I took away their chariots, cavalry, and teams of horses. Here he is really his dad's son, because he's starting to build a bridge of corpses across the river. <laughs> That's crazy. I, I, I wouldn't walk on that bridge. No, that is terribly unstable. <laughs> And then 10 years later, the recension C annals are completed. And here the numbers are up to 25,000 enemies killed and not 14,000. And uh, also in the annals, there is a part where uh, Shalmanister goes on a ship and goes out on the Mediterranean for some reason. <laughs> but, why why uh, would he do that? That's... <laughs> That's uh, not easy to understand. And very few Assyrian kings did that as well. So it might have been just, look how brave I was. I dared to go onto the Mediterranean because the Assyrians are really scared of the sea. Uh, we, I think this is just uh, a big, bold lie, pretty much. <laughs> All right. if the battle had gone down this way, if there was an Assyrian total victory and they had time to bury a lot of people, that was very thoughtful of them. Right. When have and they then... ever consumed a <laughs> um, countryside and burying their enemies? <laughs> yeah, that sounded really weird. But if they had time to build uh, this bridge of corpses and stuff, they must have won a total victory. But the aftermath of the battle really doesn't, uh, uh, doesn't uh, give credit to that, because the, the goal of the Assyrians were to get tribute and do what they had done in North Syria in the years before. Right. And this doesn't happen. Uh, of course, Shalmaneser lives, and uh, there is really nothing proving that the Assyrians were defeated either. So my interpretation of this battle is that it actually ended in a draw. And maybe this 14,000 number is, uh, is correct. So maybe he killed 14,000 of the enemy. Uh, and notice that Chalmanister, uh, he actually talked about how many people he lost when he was fighting in Urartu. But now there is no word of any Assyrian dying. Right. So I think it was a draw. I think they fought each other to a standstill. And maybe the League of Kings retreated, but uh, there is no political gain. Nobody's paying tribute, uh, and uh, Shalmaneser goes home after wow. the battle, which is not the uh, behavior of a victorious Assyrian king. No. And the cities of Damascus and Israel, they are just, um, they don't see any Assyrians. Yeah, so I think it's there's a big no way fact. he won. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, and actually it will take a lot of time for the Assyrians to make any progress in this area. 
So in, in a sense, you could say that the League of Kings did win because their objective was to stop the Assyrians. They didn't uh, set out to kill Shalmaneser or destroy the royal army. Right. They just wanted to be left alone. Uh, and of course, that doesn't work either because they will not be left alone. <laughs> Hadad Eser will fight the Assyrians six times total. Wow. But he will also find time to fight Israel again. Man, they just can't leave well enough alone. <laughs> and I actually have a sad uh, announcement because this is kind of the high watermark of the early Neo-Assyrian Empire. If they had won at Karkar, right. it could have turned into a much bigger empire. But I, I don't think they did. And it will be a long while before this area is really crushed by the Assyrians. But one day, there will come an Assyrian king. There will actually be a second battle at Karkar. And this Assyrian king will be so terrible that uh, <laughs> he, will be, he will be in the Bible. And he will be... Uh, what do you call it? He will be uh, uh, an alternative name for the Antichrist in the Bible. Really? And his enemies will call him only by the name the Assyrian. And wow. he will come to this place. Hmm. And he okay. will have a bit more success. All right, then. Well, what are we going to find out in our next episode? We are going to learn more about Israel and uh, about Shalmaneser III. Because something will happen when Shalmaneser III gets home to Assyria. Right. He gets some disturbing news. Uh-oh. So he will have to act in a totally different direction. Huh. And uh, this is both the strength and the weakness of the Assyrian Empire, that they have contested borders in every direction. <laughs> And Karkar is pretty far from the core of the Assyrian Empire here, so Shalmaneser III will not have time to go back the next year. He will have more pressing matters. Well, you heard it, folks. Tune in next week to see what happens with this new with this uh, Assyrian Empire. Strange things are afoot. But please do go to our YouTube. We have YouTube slash fan of history go there like and subscribe and please share give us a review on itunes all of these episodes go up on itunes so for this week i am brennan and i'm dan and we thank you for listening thank you guys if you enjoyed this podcast please consider supporting us on patreon patreon.com fan of history just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.